Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mike on Howie. Chris on Soups. Mace on Hal. And Matt on Group. Wake up Wednesday and we feeling it like... Nothing can intrude as we read in the tome of big stacks, singles bagged and boarded, fitted in a box in the lab recording. Thoughts as they come, whatever they be. Comics is a world that we become. Sit back, listen to the man he sold. Wherever you are, wherever you're from, the Wednesday show is for all of y'all who leaf through books in solitude. Open up worlds that you dream of. The following show is from us to you, peace. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Friday Tie-In. It's me, your host, Mouse. Friday Tie-In, the only show on the internet that is both fairly comprehensive and mildly entertaining. I'm your host, Mouse. And we're just awaiting for the telemetry to kick in for the... Uh, Co-hosts. <laughs> Co-hosts, like, like lightning, lightning, should ever appear. To some, some men, men hope, hope, to other men, men fear. fear. It's Andrew, hey, ladies and gentlemen. CB Cosmologist in the house. What's up, dude? Hey, yeah, I fear that um, this podcast is going <laughs> to be a little rough. This podcast, but we're here. Suck, we're doing it dude. every week, no matter what. Listen, I wanted to make a point. The first podcast where we're totally unprepared and exhausted and was the toughest to schedule is when you are in the same country as me like you're down the street <laughs> and yep. we're an hour away and, as opposed to thousands of billions of light years and <laughs> parallel universes we're actually within the same metro area and here we are and i'm still not on screen <laughs> it's so weird yeah when we uh i talked about it on the on the show that came out this week uh, we we decided to do an interruptions. I feel like we had to. That's a show you'll likely never get an opportunity to do again, of, of, unless you move back. And yeah, it was, it was fun. Um, y'all should uh, check out the rest of Three MC Media and listen to those. Do it's it. a lot of the same content. It's a lot of the same tinfoil content. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's a little more. It's like it's if it if it's possible, it's a little less focused. <laughs> like we 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 get on some weird tangents, but at the end of our just to pull the curtain a little bit at the end of our uh, when we recorded and you made some kind of comment like that really went all over the place. <laughs> and I was thinking about it. I'm like, yeah, we get up to regular tangents on this show, like the one we're currently on, but the tangents on interruptions make no sense. Well, the interruptions is entirely tangents. Yeah. It, um, you even made that point of like you had an entire show that was a tangent based on the topic you were planning to talk about, and the audience <laughs> never heard the topic you were planning to talk about because the whole episode was a single tangent. Yeah. I forgot about that. It was crazy. Yeah. 
because we record anyway this is the best way to record a podcast if you're <clears throat> if you're trying to do a podcast with your friends and you're having trouble loosening up because it is kind of a weird um it seems yeah, almost it's kind of artificial it seems too formal almost and so <laughs> when we recorded a gang of shows we i set it up specifically so that we could just like lay about <laughs> so everyone was sort of reclining and just sort of had microphones up to their faces and there's some of the most organic episodes we've done uh because it was just it's just easier to get into a groove when you don't have like the ex like the headphones on and sitting in a chair looking at each other and in front of the camera <clears throat> yeah my my new job requires a lot of talking to people over the phone trying to be as natural as possible in yeah. what is a very artificial environment um so and i think i got the job partially on the strength of hey i podcast all the time <laughs> <laughs> podcasting helps bro it really but do you feel this way today uh, the point i was gonna make is that it really does help your verbal i see i just fucked everything yeah, yeah, up great because real, of this, real because, there. because of this next point that i'm about to make i haven't talked all day because <laughs> i've been working all day and so it's when we started talking i realized i realized i hadn't talked all day and now i feel self-conscious because i'm fucking everything up <laughs> it's just all been right, one well, of those one of those zombie days in front of the computer like uh, and then you start talking and it's like you forgot to do that yeah it's been the opposite for me where i my job is entirely talking all the time yeah and so in some ways i'm loosened up and in some ways i'm like i'm more talking let's do it <laughs> awesome so, so let's I'll, talk about i'll give you a break yeah let's let's talk so the reason <laughs> I, I like the idea that the reason i'm back that's not at all true it just so happens that it happened while i was back mm -hmm. um but dc comics uh did a dc in dc which i'm sure it took them forever to come up with yeah that's very clever um <laughs> So pop-up event in Washington, D.C. at the museum, um, which was like a really interesting hybrid between like a miniature comic book convention and a media press event. Mm -hmm. So Warner Brothers brought all of their staff from L.A. And, and it's a lot of TV people and a lot of entertainment people. Uh, and they're all super like chill and laid back and very cold because they're not used to DC. And then it's also comic book writers who are all neurotic and weird. Um, and those two together at this one day or two day thing. Um, we weren't meant to be able to make it for the whole thing. Uh, Friday they did the premiere of Gotham by Gaslight, their new animated film. That's cool. Uh, yeah, which is sweet. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. That's, always that's, our, that's on our FTI list, our Friday tie-in yeah. to cover list. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, it's a sweet idea. I was talking to uh, some people about it, and it's got a real steampunk feel to it. Is that Mike that Mignola? Means, uh, he did the cover at the very least. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, because it has that real like Hellboyish quality to it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It may have been at the time when he was just doing cover art, and... Uh, Again, not prepared, didn't fact check. <laughs> yeah, that. yeah, 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 yeah. It's that kind and of that's show. actually So I was talking to a guy uh, who runs another podcast, and uh, since we're, we've got our habit of throwing out free plugs, uh, Comic Geek Speak, uh, and this is like the oldest running podcast 
So, and he was saying that he does a lot of, he edits stuff, uh, he gets guests, and we clearly don't do either of those things. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, we do a lot of editing. We do a lot of editing. Um, you know, but it's like post-production sound effects, not to prevent us saying stupid things That's on, on true. camera. Yeah, we should probably do air. more of that and less of the, like, let's agonize over this 20-second intro. <laughs> <laughs> can you can you rip the music from Star Wars and make sure we don't get a copyright strike and spend 30 minutes doing that? <laughs> Instead of looking through to see where we screwed up and there's dead air? Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> we got a priority straight. Anyway, so, um, so this event was like a convention. There are signings, there were panels, and they did a really, I think they were very conscious of, it was Martin Luther King Day weekend, a lot of their panels were focused on diversity. Mm. So there's a women in comics and entertainment panel, there was a African American panel, there was an LGBT panel, there was a panel about uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, mm -hmm. uh, and then weaved into all of that was you should watch our new television shows and our seasons of our existing television shows are coming back. And then there was a red carpet premiere thing for Black Lightning. Uh, and um, we didn't obviously have press access to all of that, but no. I did go. Um, I did meet Tom King and Jeff Johns, the two people we talk about most. Friends, of the, friends of the show. Yeah, friend, friend, friend of the show, Tom King, and friend of the show, Jeff Johns, or arch enemy of the show, Jeff Do Johns, depending on we call, whether his. Big... We call him the retcon king around here. Yeah, <laughs> depending on how how erect his big blue dick is. <laughs> so what? So what are some of the some of the takeaways from the panels? Because I know we have some takeaways from the artists and the creators. Maybe we'll save those. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, let's do the panel. I'll talk about my brief my brief interactions with both creators. But um, the so big takeaway from the African American panel is Milestone. Yeah. Uh, so Milestone is by all accounts coming back. It really is. Um, they're very excited about that. They had lots of nice things to say about it. There was a lot of um, very respectful talk about Dwayne McDuffie. Yeah. Um, the the legal Michigas surrounding whether who has the rights to it, I guess, has been cleared up behind the scenes. But that is we we should be looking out for milestone characters returning, which is very exciting. And we should also we haven't even we keep saying milestone. We we're assuming our listeners know what the fuck that is. <laughs> oh yeah, that's entirely possible that we don't. Um and I feel like on some Wednesday comic book brochies way web in the past like i talk about milestone every every time i get but let's just do a real real brief milestone for those who are unaware about what milestone comics is um probably you are at least vaguely familiar with static shock mm -hmm. which is the the only thing that really is the lasting leg legacy of milestone in popular culture true um, but static shock was one of many um, diversity characters. Basically, there were writers and creators who worked at Marvel in the 90s and were sick of it and weren't allowed to tell the stories they wanted to tell, and so they left, and they created their own company, and basically the, the pitch was black characters created by black writers, and 
or Asian characters created by Asian writers. And that was so novel at the time that it didn't really need to go any farther than that. It was just, that's the pitch. Mm-hmm. And frankly, 20, 30 years later, that's still fairly novel. It's still the same shit, um, yeah. It's still the same shit. So they created a, its own self-contained universe uh, of Dakota. Yep. Uh, and with a uniting, in, inciting event called the Big Bang, which was uh, created a bunch of metahumans. And there were other metahumans that came along, but they were basically minority analogs to existing heroes in some cases. Uh, so there's a black Superman named Icon. There's a black, I was going to say black steel, but steel is black. <laughs> <laughs> a black, well, if anything, he's a blacker steel. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess like black Iron Man. Um, hardware. Yep. <clears throat> um, static fills this kind of Spider-Man role of the teen hero. Yeah. Uh, and so they hit a lot of the there. There's a gang of X Men, uh, the blood um, blo- yeah the Blood Syndicate, and the Blood Syndicate's incredibly diverse. And then there are some like Cobalt, who is the only white one of the only white characters, um, and he's like a weird sort of Batman analog. Um, there was Zombie with an X, X O M B I, which has no analog really. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, he was always my favorite, my dad's favorite, because his mentor was a rabbi who had golem henchmen. That's cool. Um, but he's an Asian Asian scientist. Um, gets uh, is experimenting with nano uh, nanobots. Um, ingests them through. You know, has some kind of horrible accident. The nanobots rebuild his body, and he realizes that he's essentially immortal. Yeah. But even though he's immortal, based on science. Um, he gets pulled into this like almost Sandman esque magical world, and so it's got kind of a Doom Patrol feel. Yeah, a little bit of Constantine, a little bit of Swamp Thing. It's all that kind of mystic stuff. It's great. And, and, so, and culturally, a lot of the comic relies on this kind of. I mean, this was, so this was the '90s, right? And so there was there was an emergence in, especially in hip hop culture, of the Five Percenter Nation, uh, Nation of Islam like this resuscitation of black radicalism from the 1960s where people were, uh, you know, frankly, uh, like angry and agitated <laughs> at white people. And so it's like very, very explicitly. Um, yeah, they're explicitly angry books and it, they feel like throwbacks to black exploitation. And I, it's interesting because we've got this sort of 20 year cycle of, you know, they're coming back now, and they're going to feel like throwbacks to the '90s, which were in turn throwbacks to the late late '60s, early '70s. Yeah, uh, but they're the my dad collected all of them for as long as Milestone was running. He bought every single issue of every single Milestone book, as far as I can tell. Yeah, they were published by DC. DC did a Worlds Collide um, event that sort of explained where Milestone fits into the multiverse. Uh, and then it sort of quietly died. Um, it static survived as a cartoon show. Um, and then there were a couple of sort of aborted efforts to bring milestone back into continuity. So right around the time of new 52, uh, right before then, even, um, static was part of the teen Titans. Uh, there were, they got collided again into the main DC continuity. So icon had always been there. And he and Superman were buddies. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, New 52 erased everything. There was a really good zombie series that got canceled halfway through or turned into a miniseries. 
and it just sort of disappeared. And partially, Dwayne McDuffie died. Yeah. And so that sort of creative energy, and he had a he had a uh, a re- a real stake in making sure the milestone characters continued to exist. And he was writing Justice League before he died, and that's why Icon exists in those books. And so he died. There was a bunch of legal trouble, but they finally figured it out, and they're trying to finally bring it back. The weirdest thing about Milestone is that reading them today, reading the original Milestone issues, they are so relevant. Yeah. They are so current. Um, they are, which speaks to their quality, but also speaks to the total lack of social progress uh, <laughs> in, Amer- in America. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's, so. it's fucked up. And, and Dakota always felt like this kind of analog for Detroit. <clears throat> Absolutely. Which was also weirdly prescient considering like the collapse of Detroit's economy and what could be considered a kind of big bang. Um, so, so that's, that's coming back. Um, it should be arriving eventually, at which point I'm sure we'll talk about it. So keep your eyes out for that. Um, other takeaway, uh, the guy who plays the Martian Manhunter on Supergirl is awesome. True. He's also British, which I did not know. Yeah, uh, he had some really interesting things to say about how when he was growing up, um, all of his heroes were American, uh, people who looked like him. And we're thinking, I think, sort of the Shaft era. Um, and so it's sort of an honor for him to come over here. And so he's he's a he's just a dude playing a dude disguised yeah. as another dude. <laughs> yeah. He's a he's a British play you know, Brit playing sort of passing as an American actor playing an alien passing as a black man right <laughs> uh, um, but he said which is so weird yeah uh, he said that in in the show manhunter is black because the guy he is he took the guy whose identity he stole essentially is black right but he said at a more general level he really i likes the idea that martian manhunter chose to be black because he identifies with that struggle, he identifies with oppression, he identifies with being a minority, mm-hmm. and so there's something sort of inspiring about one of the most powerful beings on the planet deciding to be black. Yeah, and he wasn't always black when they introduced. No, he him, wasn't. Yeah, when they introduced him, he was a white detective. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, you've read more Manhunter books than I have, but I would be. And again, that's another book that's got canceled too often so to really have enough all continuity. the time. Yeah, all the time. But I like the idea that within the sort of overarching progress of the character, he was white. He decided to be white. It's like, nah, this makes more sense if I'm black. Uh, he just decides that. Um, it's interesting. I'm not sure so if he's he cool. decides it or not. That's an interesting question. I got to go back and look at it. <laughs> he was really sweet. Um, the Tom King is fascinating and a hot mess as a person. <laughs> um broke maybe broke news i don't know if he was just lying to people he it's hard to tell with him mm-hmm. um but he said in terms of the trauma panel that something they're working on dc wide is a place or an organization called sanctuary and the point of sanctuary is going to be essentially trauma counseling for superheroes mm-hmm. so the idea that there's all this violence in comic books all the time and you know, a lot of heroes obviously walk around with a lot of trauma. I mean, Tom King writes Batman. Yeah. Um, but while he tries to sort of, with Batman and Bane in his book, work through some of that trauma, 
now universe-wide, there will be an actual organization of, you know, super social workers, Mm -hmm. which should lead to some really interesting stories. We were talking about how it's unlikely to have any lasting change because the heroes only function if they are traumatized in some ways. Yeah, especially because, like, the basis of comic books is just regular narratives and narratives function on conflicts. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Characters are motivated by conflict, so if you resolve the conflict, your book gets canceled. Yeah. Uh, Right. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of depressing if you think about it like that. <laughs> yeah, Superman can never have peace because when he does, and maybe DC goes out of business. That's what happens. Yeah. And maybe that's what those stories will be about. I mean, we talked about Punishers. Like, if season two, if you watch season two, it's your fault. Right. What happens to Frank Castle? And so that's sort of maybe they'll have some commentary about you know, it's your fault, re- reader, <laughs> uh, that you keep putting Superman through all this stuff. So. That'll be fascinating. Um, the takeaway, the women's panel, um, the woman, Kate, uh, Lotz, I guess is how you say her name, last name, who plays White Canary, is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got a whole organization about called Sheetharity. Her and a couple of other female actors. Is her first are, name Katie? Katie, yeah. That's spelled like K-A-I-T, maybe? I don't know. Um, she's really cool. She's got really... Uh, nuanced perspectives on traditional gender roles, uh, on what it, she, you know, her character is bisexual. Um, DC TV is really pushing queer representation in a lot of really interesting ways. Um, but all of the women on that panel were talking about sort of the challenges of and the successes that they've had in DC TV of speaking up for themselves, being heard. Um, taking control of what they wear, um, of how they're presented. Yeah. Um, and that's that's fantastic. So really quickly, uh, have you seen any Arrow? Like, do you know Katie no. Lotz's? So <laughs> her story arc is so weird. She's, she was dead for a while. Well, she's on the boat that, she's on the Queen's Gambit when it washes up onto the island. And she and Oliver Queen get separated, but both of them survive the shipwreck. So she's picked up by this or this organization, and she's put in prison, and then the, the guy likes her or whatever. And then through a whole series of events, she gets off the island. Oliver gets off the island. She gets... She, gets, uh, she becomes a member of the League of Assassins, and she falls in love with Ra's al Ghul's daughter, whose name is Nisa al Ghul. <laughs> Not yes. Talia Al Ghul, because maybe they're trying to use her for something else. I haven't watched far enough into the series, but that's who becomes her like romantic partner. And then they kiss, and then she dies, and then she falls back in love with Oliver. Yeah, and then she's on Legends and is very bisexual in that. And um, but the representation there is really refreshing. Um, that show's really good. Uh, and she's got sort of the, I think, the clearest head of what it means to have just have your character run based on character and not worry so much about what you're wearing, you know, how you're presented is like, does my character make sense? Do I have an arc that makes sense? Am I consistent? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll let the I'll let the rest of it fall where it may. And she is. She's consistent. Her character makes sense. Uh, and she's wonderful. Um, but the. The the young woman who plays Selena Kyle on Gotham is really interesting. They're all they're all really 
interesting people with interesting ideas about how they are sort of act in positions of accidental activism. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, util- using that and making the most of that to different degrees. Um, and then real sort of on-purpose activism was in the LGBT panel. Um, so Greg Berlanti, who runs, you know, he's the Jeff Johns of, the, of DCTV. Uh, he's big head, head producer, runs everything. Which is a um, weird thing to say because Jeff Johns writes. DC he's TV also the show. Jeff Johns of DC TV. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, Jeff Johns is still involved. Yeah, uh, but Berlanti is the you know, Kevin has Feige more... of DC TV. Yeah, sure. And probably is is a better. That's a much better parallel, <laughs> especially with all of the crossovers he's constantly engineering. Um, and he and a couple of other people on that panel were of the opinion that queer baiting is over in DC Mm. Um, was like, well, we're just, you know, you, you will never have to read a coded message or be starved for representation again, because we just have queer characters now. Mm. And while I appreciate and enjoy the queer representation in DC TV, and it's really progressive and fat and one wonderful, I think it's a little bit naive um, or willfully ignorant to say, well, DCTV is such a shining beacon, therefore don't worry about it, while you're looking at you know, the DCEU and Wonder Woman and being like, that is not nearly as gay as it should be. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Wait, so, so was he saying it within... So he was saying just purely in the CW, like Arrowverse kind of realm, or was he saying like DC Entertainment? I think he was trying to make the point that it's DC Entertainment because on the panel also was um, the woman who pl- who writes DC Bombshells and right, yeah. um, Steve Orlando who's writing Midnighter um, and a couple of other people. So I think they're trying to make the point that DC writ large is now a progressive, queer-friendly safe space. And they... And they were all speaking to their personal experiences of having to be sort of starved for representation and having secret crushes on, you know, Robin in the Batman Adam West show. Mm-hmm. And like, that's fine. But it's like, oh, we'll just make things as queer as possible while not really wanting to engage in this weird middle ground that we're in right now where queer baiting is like, well, we know gay people have money and want to buy content. Mm-hmm. and want to engage. So we'll give them just enough to keep them hooked. I think it was very telling that nobody from Supergirl was part of that panel. Um, I mean, Greg Berlanti has, oversee- has oversight, but there was a bit of a, of a, of a dust-up a, a while back because the DC, the Supergirl cast, was accused of sort of making fun of people mm. um, for shipping... Uh, Kara and um, Lena Luther. Okay. Um, and I mean, their relationship is feels very queer. Um, it it just does. Like the two of them are very very close in a way that goes beyond. You know, they're both kind of lost and they're coming to each other for comfort. Mm-hmm. And it, it if if one of them were male and one of them were female, you'd be like, oh, they're obviously going to get together, and it's going to be like a sad love story because. You know, it's my arch enemy and we can't be together and it'll be Romeo and Juliet. But because they're both women. Right. That's ridiculous. Is this a, is this a, is this another one of Andrew's infamous 
Tumblr corners. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It, it, it absolutely is. Wait, that was so on Tumblr. so Tumblr Tumblr was shipping them. Was that the site where you where you saw new people? Shipping I mean, them? I was shipping them, but yes, it was also Tumblr. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was that was absolutely the dust up. So it was interesting that they were just kind of avoiding that because the problem really boils down to the idea that well, if we give you a couple of queer characters, you're not allowed to want anyone else to be queer. Like we have a queer relationship on Supergirl. We have a bunch of queer people on Legends of Tomorrow. So don't you dare misread our other characters. I'm like, well, maybe write them differently so they're not so fucking gay. <laughs> I mean, they could say that you're just misinterpreting. They can, but that's that's and that is what queer baiting is. That's right. the idea of you know because queer people for you know the entire history of film have been asked to look for subtext. Right, we've become very good at looking for subtext, and these are shows run by or at least overseen by other queer people. So like, you are either willfully oblivious or you're just screwing with us now right um so you're like you give with one hand and you take away with the other so we're just we're just not there yet um but you know that is to take nothing away from what greg Berlanti has accomplished with the ray and captain cold and constantine and white canary and mm. it, it, you know it goes on it's really fantastic so i look forward to seeing more and i look forward to gal gadot just like leaning into that for her sequel and then doing doing you know each other lesbian on yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah right and doing other women on paradise island as it should be i don't um, do you think they're gonna go to paradise island because that was probably like one of my biggest critiques of that film and i, I talked about it on the show where i reviewed wonder woman they didn't they didn't really give paradise island a, like a fair shake they didn't really they did sit there and contemplate it long enough. It just, you know, you sort of get introduced to all the characters you need to know, and then Steve Trevor lands on the island. And then it showed well, up I in Justice League again as, as it was getting invaded. But they're not, like, there should be a movie that in, in investigates the internal economy of Themyscira. Yeah, and I, I really do think that the reason they don't do that is it's too gay. Right. Like, how do you investigate the internal economy without talking about, without, you know, you can be there for like five minutes before you're like, they're all women and they have a society of right. people who interact with each other all the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's paradise and they're all seeking yeah, like, pleasure. And they're all like, you know, hanging out and like, what's, yeah, yeah. what do you do in your free time? <laughs> what's your leisure time like, huh? And yeah, Jeff Johns, or Jeff Johns, Morrison with Wonder Woman Earth One, which we should talk about at some point. I did read it. Um, that just just leans into mm -hmm. it's like it's kinky over there. Yeah, uh, it it was the second episode of the Wednesday Comic Book Show. You got to go nice. way back to hear me talk way about back. that. I got to go. Or I have to reread it. But we should do Earth vo Earth uh, Volume Two when it comes out. But the Absolutely. other the other thing, speaking of Morrison. A critique that he made about the film, which I don't think I've ever said on the podcast. You can hear him talk about it on Kevin Smith's podcast. But basically, he was like, it seems crazy to me that by World War One, Paradise Island doesn't have advanced technology. 
that Paradise Island, everyone's still using bows and arrows and things like that. And it's because they're Amazonians. But the way that the sort of character was envisioned and the society was envisioned was that it was going to be all women and they were going to supersede man. Like in an island. If anything, um, Morrison's vision of Themyscira is exactly what Wakanda looks like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. this it's this ideal alternative society where by segregating, by self-segregating, you are able to unite and have like science fiction powers. Yeah, and produce. And produce. Yeah. And right. so which I like. I like the idea that and what's cool about the way Wakanda is going to look and the way Themyscira looks in Morrison's book is it has that um, very integrated feel of they're still, you know, sometimes some of them are wearing like motorcycle pants because they're on flying <laughs> motorcycles, yeah, but yeah. their but their leisure wear is still like ancient Greek. And like, yeah, OK, that's sure. They should really take a page out of the Wakandan playbook because Wakanda looks so fucking cool. And that is kind of what I imagine Themyscira to look like. And the, yeah, me too. The Marvel blueprint is so much better. Yeah, in DC it was just like, yeah, they had horses and bows and arrows and shit. And it was it cool. It never advanced. And yeah. it was cool, but it, it's it's lost in time. And it would have been... It's also more interesting if Wonder Woman decides to leave because of her principles and not because like, oh, what's this alien technology I've never seen before? Like, she knows the technology. It's either like, yeah, it's parallel development or it's in fact behind where we're at with our flying invisible jets. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm still going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway. uh, so, so speaking of Wakanda. Yeah. No, let's not Take talk about that, but <laughs> instead talk about Freeland. Oh, wait, wait. <laughs> right. So the yeah, Freeland. So the one other big thing, this big red carpet um, event for Black Lightning. And um, so at this point, when this comes out, Black Lightning episode one has premiered in the U.S. It will premiere in the U.K. in a week. They're a week behind, but it's on Netflix. So if you're listening from Europe, watch it. They just put it straight on Netflix in Europe? Yeah, it's um, it's premiering a week at a time. So this is what's happening with Star Trek Discovery also um, and a couple of other shows. Uh, in it, Instead of being on cable, it's on a streaming service, but it comes out weekly. So yeah. it's happening with Vikings and Lucifer and Star Trek and Black Lightning. I wish they would just do that here so I don't have to watch commercials. Like... Agree. That was actually the thing. I'm sitting here in this hotel room, and I'm I put on black lighting, and it was hard to concentrate on it. Like yeah. It, every five minutes, there's a commercial, and I sort of, you know, if I mute it, then I can spend five minutes thinking about what happened in the scene. But it's very frustrating. It was also um I never watched It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia on TV. It ruins it. And it's. I think I watched one episode and it was bad. It ruins the show. The commercials <clears throat> just kill it. Yeah. So, um, so let's talk a little bit about Black Lightning. So they 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 did a world premiere in the DC and DC. Yeah. So there was a red carpet um, sneak peek. All of the cast was there. The cast of Gotham was there. The cast of you know some Arrow stuff was there. They all got dressed up. Um, there was a bunch of press, and that's like that's the very L.A. swanky Hollywood Warner Brothers pushing it. Gotcha. Um, and they, one of the people on the African American panel was part of the like black nerds 
Twitter organization or something. Black nerd girl. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, um, I think I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, but like they, they really upped their press invisibility. It's hashtag get lit. Right. Um, and really trying to push it. And, you know, so it's it's on purpose. It's Martin Luther King Day weekend. The show opens with a lot of Martin Luther King identity, respectability, politics. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's 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 very it's interesting that they're also I think it's a show that we need. Mm-hmm. It's timely mm-hmm. in a broader sense, but it for DC itself, it's extremely timely. It's like we're gonna get out one a week ahead of or two weeks ahead of Black Panther, right? And you're going to watch Black Panther want more. There isn't going to be any more Black Panther, but you know what's still coming out every Tuesday for 13 weeks? Black Lightning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's cutthroat, bro. Yeah, um, it's, it's very cutthroat. So let's talk about Black Lightning a little bit. So Black Lightning is a character who uh, debuted 1977 for DC Comics. It was DC Comics' first, like, black superhero who was given his own dedicated uh comic book arc which was quickly canceled which is also something that we'll talk about um created by this guy tony isabella um who is not black um no but white italian man yeah but at that point you just get you just you just accept whatever (laughs) um and tony isabella had been pushing black characters at marvel Mm-hmm. Um, he created Black Goliath. Like, there's no reason for you know Goliath, who has the same sort of Pym legacy of Pym particles getting big. There are other Goliaths. He could have just been a Goliath, but not. But he's Black Goliath, right? <laughs> so, and that's a oh my god, that's another tangent. But that's a lot of that's the times. 70s. It, but that's also now when you're like, let's make a let's make a black Spider-Man. Let's make a like uh, instead of creating original characters like Milestone, which always kind of frustrates me. Um, but so the the conceit of this character is that he is a and this is right in your wheelhouse, a career teacher <laughs> and maybe not the career part, but the teacher part certainly applies to the both of us. But he specifically is a high school teacher. Um, yes. And in, when he's introduced, he's the principal, new principal at this place called Garfield High School, which is in Metropolis, Southside Metropolis, which is also called the Suicide Slum. Now, all of this information has been removed from the Black Lightning TV show. And I can only speculate on why that is. Um, I think Suicide Slum is a little... <laughs> a little on the nose. <laughs> is a little on the nose. Um, I think maybe trying to distance it from Metropolis is maybe has something to do with like the CW like IP issues. Like maybe they don't want to bring Clark Kent into the Arrowverse and maybe they're positioning Black Lightning because the... Black Lightning is not in the Arrowverse thing is simply untrue. Because if you ask the showrunners, they're like, oh, yeah, it's probably going to be in the Arrowverse. If you ask Greg Berlanti, he's like, oh, it's probably going to be in the Arrowverse. If you ask number any number of DC executives, they're like, it's not in the Arrowverse. But it's probably going to be in the Arrowverse. Like, they're really hedging their bets by saying that shit. Uh, yeah, and what's interesting about this is um, they're still stuck in Marvel's old model. Because they're shopping around different 
properties to different production companies. So Fox makes one, NBC makes another. Eventually, they all wind up at the CW anyway. Yeah. Um, and once they do, so like Constantine was on a different network. It got canceled. Now that actor and that character are coming to Legends of Tomorrow. So, you know, Supergirl got mo- moved networks. And so and I, Black Lightning was originally supposed to debut, I think, on Fox. Um, but there wasn't enough interest. And so like, well, we'll just bring it to the CW and give it an, an episode order. Mm-hmm. And so there's this idea of anytime something's going to be on a, a network that is not the CW, they don't want it as part of the Arrowverse initially. And then it all slowly gets wrapped up as they sort of bring it back. Yeah. We were talking about the idea that it may be that the Arrowverse has become so complicated that new viewers might see that as a disadvantage. The barrier to entry has actually gotten pretty high. Yeah. And so if you say, well, for now, it'll be totally separate and we'll, you know, we'll give it some time. And if people like it, we'll we'll loop it in. Um, that would be OK. The the detail here within the text of the first episode is that the world of Black Lightning has other superheroes in it. Mm-hmm. There's an offhand mention of, you know, other other powered people are called heroes, but Black Lightning's a vigilante and that's racist. I'm like, yeah, it is. You're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And but we're not clear which who those heroes are. My sort of tinfoil pitch is to have him be in Supergirl's Earth rather than the Arrowverse, mm-hmm. because Supergirl's Earth is an Earth that constantly references a vague history of superhero activity. You know, from the very first episode, Superman has has already existed. Supergirl is dealing with being in his shadow. All of his, his villains already exist. They constantly make veiled references to Batman. Mm-hmm. And so that world has been built out already. That world feels like Bronze Age DC. And um, Arrowverse feels like a not very good execution of Rebirth. Yeah, um, yeah. More New 52. Or New 52. <laughs> yeah. the Some of the other things, and these are just like nuggets and I'm going to do some comic book spoilers, and I feel comfortable doing that because I don't know that... These books are old. Yeah, these books are old as shit, and I'm not sure that the show is going to go in this direction, but maybe it will. So there are a few uh, characters who are introduced in Black Lightning. Um, the first that we have to talk about are Jennifer and Anissa Pierce. Those are uh, Jefferson Pierce's daughters. <clears throat> And they're variously represented throughout the the various iterations of Black Lightning. In Black Lightning Year One, which came out in two thousand nine, um, Jennifer Anna is like a like a six year old, and in that story, Jennifer is born, and you know, conceivably they'll go on to become their their eventual superhero selves. Um, in the original story, he's playing cat and mouse with. Um, his wife or his soon-to-be wife, and it's an eventuality that they're going to get together, but the shit gets canceled before any of that can happen. Um, but the important part of these characters, in the current run, they're his cousins. <laughs> because in the current run of Black Lightning, if you're reading it, Tony Isabella has really pulled back on the family man kind of uh, orientation of the character, because oftentimes it can come off as a little bit boring, um, particularly for... Black Lightning, who was introduced as a teacher who fights crime at night, 
in hindsight, it's kind of a boring idea. And so in the current iteration of the run, they're his cousins and not his, it's so he doesn't have those familial attachments. Um, but in the show, those characters are great. The actresses are fucking great. Everybody in the show is really solid. Um, I was not, I don't know that the guy who plays Jefferson Pierce spoke at all at the DC and DC event. Mm -hmm. And he's also weird looking. He's weird looking Um, and he has the deepest fucking normal voice of all, like his just normal speaking voice is the deepest voice of all time. He's like, in, in hindsight or as I was watching the show, like initially it's like, he's, he's very odd looking. And then they throw in, which is part of his comic book origins, that he's an Olympic level athlete. Yeah. And I realized that's why he's got the weird body proportions of Michael Phelps. <laughs> um, yeah. There's a there's a scene where he's running with his daughters and he's got like these giant hands. And I'm like, he looks like an Olympic athlete. They're mm-hmm. all weird looking. Yeah. And so he's actually very well cast. Yeah. Um, but he's great. They're all great. Um, good casting, good actors. Um, they're doing something really interesting here where they've basically, like Supergirl, which is part of the reason I wanted to be on Supergirl's Earth, they've basically said, look, audience, you have watched enough superhero media at this point that we're going to assume you can keep up. Mm -hmm. So we're not doing an origin story of Black Lightning. Right. And they've got these, like, Sin City flashbacks, and he's been Black Lightning. He was Black Lightning nine years ago, and he's retired um, because it, it it got him divorced. And there's this real feeling of he already has these built up regrets of being black lightning is like being a junkie for him. It's a, it's a fix and it's an addiction and it's wrong. Yeah. Um, and so that's fascinating because it's got the like Tom Holland inspired a Spider-Man idea of just throw you in and let you go. We don't have to worry about origins. We just kind of deal with it. It is an origin story, but not for him. Well, what, what is, what is nine years ago? This is my, this is some tinfoil shit. I'm about to say, what year was nine years ago? That's an excellent question. <laughs> In the way, it's just math, bro. Yeah, no, but like comic book math, like people have been worried about that with the MCU. It's like, how old is Tom Holland? And if he was in Iron Man 2? And no, but you know, my, lit- liter- my tinfoil theory is that Gotham itself, the show, does exist in one of these other worlds, but is 15 years behind the reality of like say supergirl and the reason they mention batman is because it's the same batman but he's younger and yeah comic book chronology is it's weird well i was just gonna say nine years ago was 2009 correct uh yes and that's when black lightning year one came out and and black lightning year one he just became the principal of garfield high school and he's been the principal of garfield for nine years yeah i like that (laughs) Um, so if you, if I, and if you want to go read this, I have a feeling that this is the boilerplate. Like this is the template for the, at least the first 13 episodes of the black lightning run. So the villains, the villains who are introduced are the 100, which is a gang that, do you know the mythology of the 100 by any chance? Uh, I know that they show up in black 
in black lightning but not nothing beyond that i'm gonna explain it to you because it's fucking weird <laughs> it sounds like they sound like tarantino villains uh they're not it's even weirder than that and the other one is tobias whale which if you it's been established in every single iteration if you're gonna write a black lightning story you have to have tobias whale he was the fucking villain in the first 1977 run he was a, the, a villain in the 90s run he was a villain in year one um, he is currently a villain. Like Tony Isabella threw everything out the fucking window except Tobias Whale. Except Tobias Whale. <laughs> Tobias Whale is really interesting to me because I recognize him as a Batman villain. Um, yeah. I feel like he rattle he rattles around as like a C list Batman villain sometimes. And they've got they've set him up as this sort of kingpin, cottonmouth, diamondback. The show is very. We'll get back to this, but the show is very consciously looking at Luke Cage, which is funny because Black Lightning himself as a comic book character is very consciously looking at Luke Cage. Yeah. And in the way that Tony Isabella was like, I'm going to build Black Lightning for DC the way Luke Cage is built for Marvel. The show is we're going to build Black Lightning for DC TV and improve or comment on what Luke Cage did and did not do well. What, so one of the ways that Tony Isabella distances in the very first page of Black Lightning, the character from Luke Cage is, you know how Luke Cage spoke in that Ebonic sort of racially encoded jive turkey, all this type of shit. So the the comic posits that the reason that Jefferson Pierce does that is um, strategic because since he as a as a person as a well-spoken high school principal he wants to throw people off his scent so he talks in the most you know racially specific way there is and so it's just in a thought bubble in his head like you know they'll never know who i am because you know i don't fucking talk like this in real life so in that way he uses that moment of slippage to like throw a bunch of shade at luke cage but then also give it just like in universe like this is why he's talking like this it's um, really smart. It's yeah. also I'm looking at original Luke, original Black Black Lightning wore a fake afro. <laughs> yeah, he he wears a fake afro. Like he affects this kind of, um, uh, this 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 persona so that people as assume that he's not a high school principal. So in that way, he's like signifying on everybody all the time. Um, so the 100, interesting origin. The 100 stands for El Ciento, <laughs> and oh. they emerged in the 15th century, and they were a group of people, sort of like the Knights of Templar, who were trying to, or the Illuminati, who were trying to find a way to create eternal life. And what DC villain <laughs> achieved that? Um... Vandal Savage, Ross Al Ghul, <laughs> Ross Al, yeah, that's the other one. So every, I guess, I guess he achieved eternal life. Vandal Savage always had it. Every, yeah. So basically, the El Ciento is a group that Ross Al Ghul like stole the Lazarus Pit from. It's a oh no, yeah. And so every single time that um, they they reboot Black Lightning, he always gets a very very unwanted drop in from Tali Al Ghul who's there to help him defeat the 100 because now Ras Al Ghul in you know in, in next to all of his like supervillain shit his side hustle is fighting off the 100 that's amazing 
Yeah, it's okay. really fucking weird. <laughs> That's really cool. That's fascinating because they've been appropriating, maybe not the right word. Um, <laughs> they've been, let's go with it. They've been appropriating um, the Al Ghul League of Assassins thing in the Arrowverse forever. Yep. But what's interesting is that it's also in Gotham. Yeah. Um, in a different way. It's crazy because in my mind, the League of Assassins is the last is the last organization you want to bring into your realistic superhero show. And so I'm always I'm 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 always I always love when they bring them in because it's this like level of mysticism and magic that doesn't exist because every episode of Arrow, the motherfuckers like on a motorcycle and shooting arrows at you know, just dudes who are wearing leather jackets and shit and Deadshot. Deadshot, his power is that he has an eye patch. <laughs> like, it, it becomes so dumbed down that the mystical elements of that universe are always the most fascinating to me. Because they just well, embrace it's the same it. stuff with Daredevil, where, like, there's no way the hand is going to work here. It's right. so weird. Yeah. It's so iconoclastic with the rest of the tone of the show. And they're like, no, it's fine. I'm like, yeah, it, it's actually fine. <laughs> yeah, I like it. It's it works. Perfect. It's perfect. Um, yeah, so t- Tobias Whale. All right, so so we we can look forward to... to cause, so at the end of this episode, we've got you know, Lala, say, yeah, Allah. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got the 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 gang members uh, and then we've got Tobias Whale and so it'll be interesting to see if Tobias Whale reports to Rachel Ghoul. <laughs> well so that's that's an interesting thing because in in Black Lightning year 1 he is a crony but it's not to Rachel Ghoul. Um it's just Oh, fuck, I forgot his name. It's this like gangly motherfucker who was like part of the original 100. Um, okay. And like, seeks... there's nothing I love more than like big bads reporting to other bigger bads. Right. It's very Whedon-y. It's the bits like the buffiest, and it's it's my favorite. But it's even it's even cooler because he the I can't remember the fucking guy's name. I'm too tired. The guy um, who is Tobias Whale's boss takes up residence in other people's bodies, like needs to leech off their bodies and shit. Yeah. That's horrifying. Um, so it would be interesting to see if they go that that route because you know I want all magic and craziness, like fuck all the the, the realistic shit. Also, interestingly, in the, when they introduced Black Lightning, he couldn't like summon lightning. He had a uh, a utility belt that was created for oh. him by Peter Gamby. Peter Gamby is another character who every time he he shows up in a run of Black Lightning. He's the nicest dude. He was friends with Jefferson Pierce's uh, father. They were best buds. And then you find out something about Peter Gamby. He always has a secret, whether he's working for Tobias Whale or he sold uh, Jefferson Pierce's father down the river and actually got him killed. Like, there's some secret that inhabits that character, which is significant insofar as they cast James Remar, who is a character actor, who is, interestingly, he played Raiden, the electric god in Mortal Kombat, so there's something, but also, like, a a fucking, just a nasty dude. Like, he always plays, like, a nasty, villainous, slimy fuck. And to see that guy, at least for me, I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) It's a big red flag. (laughs) What I like about, even in episode one, the idea uh, that Gamby, um, first off, the tech is cool. Yeah, and really my cool. my immediate assumption is that, so in this version, 
Jefferson Pierce is just he's he's a metahuman. So he he controls and and um it's sort of like pyro with fire where he seems to be able to generate an electric field, mm-hmm. but he definitely is able to also absorb electricity and to augment his powers. So he's got some electricity already, bioelectricity, whatever, but then every time you see him, he's either by a streetlight and then stealing that electricity from there or from tasers or from the uh, motel signs. Mm-hmm. So he's able to charge and recharge and discharge. And then Pierce, or sorry, Gamby, has been waiting for him to come back for nine years yeah. and has been tinkering with this armor for nine years. Right. And the armor has big LEDs and is clearly electric. And when we see him in the armor, he does stuff with it. Right. So like the his um, goggles change and it seems to be generating some kind of electric field that makes him bullet resistant or bulletproof, almost like magnets. Yeah. <clears throat> my, my immediate assumption is that because he never does any of that through any, he never pushes buttons to do it. It just happens. I'm assuming that Gamby has figured out a way to let Jefferson Pierce control the suit with his bioelectric field. Yeah. So he's just charging, charging it like a battery, which is why it also makes sense that it's so lightweight, despite having a bunch of junk on it. Yeah. Like he's wearing this massive armor, but he can move really fluidly. And ordinarily that would be annoying from like a super nerd perspective. But when like the man is just a battery, then you don't need battery packs for the suit. It <laughs> he, can just like he's like a giant. He's like a giant walking battery. Like yeah, a, and it's 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 like the Iron Man suit where like I've got a reactor in my chest to just power the thing. The thing about so, that's cool. What like who has time to just sit around for nine years to wait for something to happen? An immortal, a white man. perhaps. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I was I was gonna um, I was gonna imply that he may be a part of the one hundred. But the other thing uh, well what I'm implying is that even if he's not evil, what's interesting about him in sort of racial politics is that he's very much like an abolitionist. Mm-hmm. So he's got these goals, right? You know, like he ha he knows what the mission should be and he's very idealistic, but he's not really like a like a white northern abolitionist, not like, you know, John um some of the some of the actual revolutionaries. Right. Um, he is not willing to get his hands dirty. So like, he wants Black Lightning to exist regardless of the cost to Jefferson Pierce. Right. So yeah, like, yeah. You know, he's constantly trying to push Pierce to become Black Lightning again, giving him resources, funneling money and support and egging him on and does not care when Pierce kind of shows up like, I don't want to do this. I'm getting shot all the time. I don't want to do this anymore. Like, But you have to. It's important. Yeah. I don't care about your marriage. I don't care about your family. I don't care about your well-being. I care about Black Lightning. Right. Yeah. Which is a very, like, privileged white person thing to do. Yeah, and also using him to fight. Exactly. Using him to fight the battles that he wants to fight but is incapable of. And generally with that character, he has some kind of fucked up motive. So we'll see what happens as the series unfolds. The thing I want to say about the suit, I have now dipped my toe into the Arrowverse. And one of my biggest, uh, like criticisms of the Arrowverse is the suits are fucking terrible. The black lightning suit is phenomenal. That fucking suit is so sick. Like it just looks cool it's functional. It's not the the arrow suit itself is just like a hoodie and some tights and some pants and initially eye black around his eyes, which I thought was a really cool thing they did. And then Barry Allen in the second season gives him the fucking like the goggles 
and then fully cosplays him. <laughs> Where I'm like, like the one thing that was cool about that suit was the fact that you use eye black and not the goggles. And then Barry Allen gives him goggles, and I'm like, well, fuck this. The flash suit, they tinkered with it a lot throughout the seasons, and I think the the most current version of the suit doesn't look that bad. Yeah, they're getting there. And at least in universe, they're like, it was a firefighting suit, and we've been repurposing it, so... Eh. Yeah, and it, all of the, the secondary characters in Arrow, the suits, like the, the White Canary suit in the beginning is bad, and also because they're trying to, and this is like very weird... And they stopped doing it, but at, at the beginning they try to really push her breasts up so they're like fucking <laughs> popping out of the shit. It's really yeah, and she's she's a she's a very slender, small person. Yeah, and so and especially you know given cosplay convention theater background, like you need a, a corset basically to do that, and that's it's dumb. And Don't it's not, do that. but it's also impedes your ability to be functional in the suit. So a lot of the times they'll show her running and it's like, she's asphyxiating. It's just like, cause she's wearing a corset. Yeah. yeah. Probably. Yeah. And so that's something I really, really appreciate about the attention to the, the fine details of this suit. Um, and I'm wondering if, so part of that is they've had, you know, almost 10 years now of pr- practice. Uh, that's true. And, the other thing is that in Black Lightning stories, he's the only guy wearing a costume for a lot of it, right? Yeah, yeah. You so sh- we don't have costume supervillains, and that's what's great about you know the Daredevil model of I'm the only guy with the suit. I'm fighting a bunch of dudes, and my main villain is a guy in like a three piece designer <laughs> regular suit, not a superhero suit. Right. Yeah. So that definitely cuts down on your budget, which is helpful. And I mean, Legends has upped their game. You know, the new Adam suit, the uh, Citizen Steel or whatever his name is. Um, they've got some some sweet stuff now. Yeah. But yeah, we've definitely finally moved path. Like everybody's in leather jackets and that's kind of it. Right. <clears throat> um, so the the show premiered this Tuesday and I want to talk about the ratings. So in it's interesting Screen Rant reported that Black Lightning is the CW's biggest premiere in two years. Okay. D- despite the fact that it is it, the lowest, um, the least viewed premiere of any of its original series. So like Arrow, The Flash, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow all got more viewership in their first week than Black Lightning. Now, this is probably attributed to the fact that when Arrow premiered, it was, you know, really, like, novel. It was this new thing, so it got... And Stephen Amell was on the back of every DC comic book for, like, eight months. Forever. It was very annoying. But, so, it it, it premiered with 4.02 million viewers in 2012. They introduced Barry Allen in Arrow, and Arrow, in the first, you know three or so seasons was pretty much universally loved. It started to go down a steep decline, particularly even with like hardcore fans sort of after that. So when the flash premiered, it premiered at 4.54 million. And then legends of tomorrow and Supergirl started to go down and down and down. And generally superhero shows have been, you know, getting fewer and fewer ratings. So it's not like the fact that the, the, that black lightning premiered with the lowest, uh, series premiere numbers. It's that's not as significant. Um, I mean, the market is flooded at this point. Yeah, they did a great thing for Black Lightning because they it's in the 9 p.m. slot 
on Tuesday, which is right after Flash. And yep. so it gets just basically a ton of runoff fans and then new people tuning in because they want to watch this fucking show. Um, so that bodes well. If it if it stays at this pace, the CW is not like network television, even though it's network television. It's not like CBS. It's not like Fox. It doesn't need crazy crazy numbers to keep shit on the air so something around like two million viewers a week is going to keep black lightning on the air it's probably going to warrant a second season so that's great news critically speaking what do you believe the rotten tomatoes consensus the percentage the number is for black lightning oh geez um 74 100 percent god damn <laughs> Not, Sweet Christmas. <laughs> not a single negative review to be seen, bro. Wow. It's good. I mean, <laughs> I don't have a negative review of it, but, you know, Rotten Tomatoes and I usually aren't in accord. It's so, um, it, it was fucking shocking because it's not, it was like 50 reviewers. It wasn't, it wasn't a couple of reviewers here. The 50 reviewers all said it was good. That's fucking nuts, though. Um, Let's run through a few. Like it's not, this... and this is interesting because Luke Cage was not universally loved this way. No, it wasn't, and uh, I think you know what that might have a lot to do with the fact that we got a, a lot more of the show, and so we were able to see where it went. I think Black Lightning has the potential to really fall flat as the season progresses. Um, you know, dip, dip. yeah. So one of the points I had made, and just talking a little bit about Black Lightning, we sort of danced around. We haven't really talked about a plot of the show, which is fine. Like, go watch it; it's good. Yeah. But one of the things that Black Lightning appears to be trying to accomplish is it's very reminiscent of The Wire in that it is showing you a city mm -hmm. and a, trying to talk about a lot of um intersectional sort of politics and relationships between different pieces of the city so you get the education system you get the news media you get the police you get the drug trade mm -hmm. um, but the wire did one of those a season and built out slowly <laughs> black lightning is like we're doing all of it all at once yeah in 13 episodes and 40 minutes is, <laughs> yeah in 40 minutes 40 minutes 13 episodes all of it all at once which is fascinating. Yeah. And I mean, as far as like, what show should we model ourselves after? The Wire is never a bad choice. Right. Um, and it even does some very wiry, very sort of obvious things of, um, you know, the we get introduced to the parallel lives of Jefferson Pierce teacher and then the drug dealer he's dealing with and the deals between the two and the idea of so in some ways the drug dealer is a more effective role model than Jefferson Pierce is and mm -hmm. in some ways he's not and everybody's morally ambiguous and it's it's really well done but it has like you said the potential to completely fall apart because he's balancing a, a lot of plates in the air all at once yeah and speaking of plot there really isn't a plot yet um there it's like it's it's it was very introductory like we just got to meet a bunch of people and the overarching sort of conceit of the episode itself was that you know his daughter's gotten to some shit and what would it take to get black lightning out of retirement and you know that's yeah. fucking with his family um this is like season two of the punisher by the way they they just yes, skipped, the first episode were yeah they yeah. just they just skipped season one 
and they're like, just imagine what happened. We're starting at season two. He's done. He's retired. He's gotten rid, he thinks, of Tobias Whale. That was all he was supposed to do. Like, he's good. Interestingly, Tobias Whale thinks he's gotten rid of Black Lightning also. Yeah. <laughs> but I they each... Well, I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so the, we, we're introduced to a lot of different characters. In this, in this particular uh, iteration of Black Lightning, he's divorced. Um, so he has a, did you ever watch Luther? No, the Idris Elba, the Idris Elba. Yeah. This is very Luthery. Also, it's the same, um, very charismatic black man, uh, with sort of a dark secret and his job makes him a real hell to be around <laughs> Trump, but he's like very, uh, very, uh, affectionate towards his ex-wife who's not necessarily feeling that and trying to put things back together constantly, but unable to because he's got this obsession with his job. Um, That's cool. And it, it, I think that there are some real, uh, I think, on-purpose nods to Luther, which is fine because Luther's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, um, in interestingly, so, again, we've said that the comic book, there are different pieces that kind of pop in and out. He's been principal for nine years. He does have kids. He's had this relationship. Um He's also the the least believable part of the show is the school itself, um, <laughs> which <laughs> that he's he's got more superpowers than just electricity. He's got like yeah. super administrative powers. Really, really, really high functioning public school. <laughs> yeah, it's it's clearly built to look like a pub, a big public school, but he's uh, running it like a tiny private school. He knows everybody's name. Mm -hmm. There's like no disciplinary issues. Everybody's totally chill. Yeah, um, his his daughter's able to teach there and what until like gang members show up appears to be a really engaged class yeah um and oh and graduation rates are in the 90 percent yeah it's bullshit um, one, it's totally uh, yeah one of the unrealistic one of the characters that is not in uh in well hasn't showed up at least is an air is a character called earl clifford's earl clifford's is the martha wayne the thomas wayne of black lightning he's a kid who shows up and he's either um in 2009 he was a gang member who was affiliated with the 100 who had some like moral preoccupations about that in the original series he was a star basketball player who was going to become the next jefferson pierce and in every iteration earl clifford's is murdered and that is what flips the fucking switch for jefferson pierce um and I'm I'm interested to see if they'll do that at some point because it's kind of trending in that way. Like there's going to be would, something tragic happening. Well, soon. it may have happened nine years ago. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Because he says you know he became Black Lightning to destroy Tobias Whale, but we don't know why. Right. But Tobias uh, Whale is still there. <laughs> like what? It doesn't make any sense, bro. <laughs> Uh, it's so funny. They both think they killed the other one, and they're both just like totally healthy. <laughs> yeah, they're totally fine. <laughs> All right, uh, let's just read a few of these again. It's not as interesting to do this Peabody award-winning segment when there isn't like you know dissension or something. Um, and there's only been one episode. Yeah, so let's do. Some... We'll keep we'll keep checking back on this as episodes happen. Let's do the New York Times that fake news. Did you see the fake news awards, by the way? Uh, with Colbert? No, Donald Trump. 
Oh, I thought Colbert ran some fake news awards for Donald Trump. But Donald Trump himself <laughs> well, created fake news awards. So the know. idea came from Trump, uh, Trump's Twitter feed. He 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 released a tweet. He was like, "Next Monday, I'm going to release the fake news, the the best of fake news in 2017 or whatever." And in classic Trump administration fashion, he kept delaying and delaying and delaying and delaying it. And he finally released it yesterday, and he released a link. Like he tweeted out a link to a GOP page that when you clicked on it, because so many people were trying to look at it, just crashed. <laughs> and so nobody's been able to see who won the fake news awards. Oh, man, that's good. Uh, the The police detective who keeps showing up in Black Lightning. Oh, like, I wanted to make a point about that guy. Um, Henderson, right? Yeah, at one point he's on, like he's being interviewed, and he says, and it's fake news. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Bill Henderson is a leading police detective in Metropolis, um, and he okay. is uh, functionally their Commissioner Gordon. And he always plays some kind of role, but he's always white in the comics. Um, so again man i really want the superman crossover is so important for the black lightning story because the whole point of black lightning is that clark kent superman does not fuck with black people like that's the whole point of you know his existence is in direct opposition to everything that superman doesn't stand for yeah um so yeah, that would be a reason to bring Supergirl in. I mean, Tyler Ho Hochen, whatever his name is, the guy they've got playing Superman on Supergirl is fantastic. Yeah, uh, and they'd go really well together. I mean, for, just bring in Steel. That's true. Or at the very least, let the let the girls go over with Supergirl. At the yeah, very do, least. yeah. If you're gonna do your girl power thing and bring in more strong female leads, then have Thunder and Lightning go over there. Yeah, but so New York Times says. Uh, Mr. Williams has to carry most of the story. Fortunately, he's up to it, inhabiting this character's strength, his burden, and his sense of humor in a series that's packed an opportune moment to strike. Like lightning. <laughs> Dude, that, like, we, I mean, I think we did say it, but this guy, Cress Williams, is great. Like, yeah, he's good. He's like a legitimately, you know, talented actor. And that's the other you know marvel and dc steal from each other all the time and one of the things they stole from the punisher is like you know cast a good thespian <laughs> like, you yeah know, just, it matters yeah get a good actor don't just get a pretty dude i mean because even they sort of went against type there i mean it's he's not unattractive but he's like weird looking like he's not he's a little weird looking and and i like that he's a little bit older um and you know in the same sort of i mean john bernthal's weird looking yeah, he's super weird looking. Yeah, he looks yeah. like a fucking Ginzo. <laughs> so it's good. And interestingly, I mean, the thing we're dealing with with Black Lightning here, this, there's this really interesting tension of, you know, as you said, he's articulate. He's, ref, you know, sort of reserved. He's trying to do the right thing. But he's a very angry father. Mm -hmm. And so we've got this tension between, you know, role model, pacifist, nonviolent, power of education, and then he puts on the suit and throws people through windows and cars. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, and then I feel like that, that is a commentary on sort of as an encapsulation of 
you know, what does it mean to be a black man in America? And that constant sort of duality in the media of be a role model, you know, be Martin Luther King Jr. Be, a, you know, but then also this idea about violence. And... Speaking of which, David Bedencourt from The Washington Post says, take a deeper look and you'll see a show that doesn't get lost in the fantasy of superhero television and takes the responsibility of portraying being black in America seriously. I think that's right. I think they're doing a really good, subtle, but also intentional job at making him contend with, you know, this like real life struggle. And it makes it and I send you that piece by Ira Madison from the Daily Beast where he I don't want to say shits on Luke Cage, but he just makes the point that Luke Cage does that in this very kind of tepid way. Like, there's there's a lot of implications. I mean, he wears a hoodie in homage to Trayvon Martin. But in Black Lightning, right out the gate with the pilot, they're like, this shit is a problem. This is a this is a real problem. Police brutality is a real problem. He's getting harassed by cops. Henderson even is like, you know, if you mess with us, we'll beat you up, but we won't kill you all the time like the 100 will. Like, that's <laughs> right. not... Better, yeah, and but that's the same type of shit that police officers say. Like the fraternal order of police, and, and and all these police unions are like, yeah, but like you fucking like gang members are just killing themselves in the street. What we mess up every once in a while, so so what? <laughs> like that kind of fucking, it's it's a very multi layered sort of exploration of you know like the concept of and the mechanisms of justice in you know black urban communities. Because just the superhero element is fascinating because he's getting profiled and it's like he gets pulled out of the car. It's like, is it because he's black? Is it because he's black and he looks like Black Lightning? Right. You know, are they pulling him over and harassing him because they think he might be a vigilante or because he's just a black person? Right. Or is it both? Right. And yeah. And it. It's so good. Um, <laughs> so Brian Lowry from CNN.com. Also fake news. Um, in Cress Williams, fortunately, the CW has a hero worth watching, albeit one who will appear to require some time for him and his vehicle to settle into the job. I mean, yeah. Yes, it's a pilot. Yeah, it's a pilot. I mean, as we established, in many ways, very little happens in this first episode. It's just, here's all the characters. Yeah, here's a world. Here's a fucked up world, and here, here are the people who live in it. Um, last one, David... Dan, David Dan Feinberg from the Hollywood Reporter says the series is driven by some solid action scenes, a bass pumping soundtrack, stylish treatment of Black Lightning sizzling powers, and character pragmatism. That's one thing. I good thing that I read that one because we wanted to talk about the soundtrack. Um, yeah. So in one of the trailers, they had a, a Kendrick Lamar song, correct? Yes, and that was in the refrain was uh, Martin had a dream. And it was playing during the DC in DC event. It's called it's the backseat freestyle freestyle is the name yeah. of the track. All um, my which, life I want yeah. money and power respect my father. I love that one because he just kind of, he just mumbles through it. <laughs> yep. So I can fuck and, the world and, for seventy two hours. <laughs> yeah, and that's all they could use for the trailer because the rest of it's about like the, his giant. He has giant, giant Eiffel Tower sized dick. <laughs> Damn, yeah. I got bitches. Damn, I got bitches. <laughs> yep. Uh, 
and it, you know, it worked for the weekend, and it was it's you know it's a good soundtrack for the trailer, but they don't use it yeah. in the in the show. It's so not CW esque. <laughs> um, CW is pushing it. I mean, there's a lot of frank discussion of sexuality and drug use. You know, um, that one of his daughters is just high in the club. Yeah, and and then talking about you know just because I'm high doesn't mean I'm consenting to have sex with you. You weird gang person and they try to and, then they try to coerce her and it's really and they do they try to coerce yeah. her and then they're trying to bring her and her sister to this motel to rape them and mm-hmm. like there's a lot of really intense content here that i think ever since they've really been pushing what they're able to do mm-hmm. um and on riverdale it's you know it's teen angst um and it's and it's racy and um and edgy but here it feels appropriate because it's just it's it is what the world actually looks like yeah it's fucking awesome dude i'm really happy about this but i'm also not happy about it because so what about the soundtrack oh sorry uh because it wasn't kendrick lamar it wasn't kendrick lamar so you remember when mcdonald's used to do those like rap songs like to eat their chicken McNuggets and shit. It's that level of rap music was what the soundtrack is. And I get it. It's the CW. They got money, but they don't have like (laughs) they They don't have Kendrick Lamar money. money. Like they can get the 13 second clip and that's about it. And maybe the beat, but they can't just be pulling all these like rappers. So what I imagine they did is they commissioned somebody to write black lightning themed and Black Lightning specific raps that would play like before it went to commercial or in, in scenes where there's heightening and shit like that. And the guy will say like Black Lightning this, Black Lightning that. And, you know, it's it adds an interesting element to it, but it is fucking corny. But it is bass yep. bumping. It is. It does give it a, a, a way different feel and a way different sort of ambience than, you know, Arrow, which like Arrow plays the kind of indie rock love music type of shit. And I think the CW is good. I think they're better than even like the Marvel, like Netflix series at creating and like characterizing the characters using the music. If that makes any sense. Like the music is just, is an added layer of characterization, not just you know, suspenseful or heightening or emotive. Yeah, and the Marvel shows, like, there'd be sort of scenes that you remember with music, but the music was absolutely a soundtrack for the scene, like the fight scene. Like, here's a Wu-Tang, and here's a cool fight. Right. And and you get into this weird, like, loop of Wu-Tang in the early 90s referencing Marvel comic book characters who do not <laughs> exist until just now. It's like, what, is Wu-Tang younger yeah. now? Like, what, what's happening? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, so soundtrack is pretty cool. I am happy that I'm that they, that this exists, but I'm not happy to be watching it serially. So I'm having the same kind of feeling you have about reading comic books serially, which is... I got to wait a fucking week. And then when I watch it, I got to watch commercials for Tide Pods that I just want to eat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's a it's a good, as we said, it's a good idea because it comes out before Black Panther. It will continue to be on air after Black Panther so people can get their, their fix. Mm. But 
weekly serialized. I mean, even what you were saying about the lead numbers of it, it premieres after The Flash, and so there's runoff viewership. That's such an old model. Mm -hmm. It's such an ancient model in terms of ad rights and and revenue, and I hate being stuck in it. Hopefully, you know, when... Here's a conspiracy theory that has no basis. I'm just literally just thinking about it. Like, if if Disney... Because I got the email, like many other Americans, about Disney's new streaming service. It's called, like, Mm. Movies Now or some shit like that. And when they launch this shit and maybe potentially pull all those Marvel Netflix series off, let's start a bidding war. Let's see who wants DC more. DC television on Netflix would be fucking killer, especially if they took the Marvel shows off of the platform. Yeah, the problem there is that DC already has a streaming service in the works. That's happening already. What? Um, yeah, it's gonna be DC all. You didn't hear about this? It's no. DC all access, and like Fuck. the the big hook was Young Justice season three, which was a very well received cartoon show. Got canceled before its time. That was coming back, but it was only going to be on the streaming service. And the Titans show mm-hmm. that there's been some buzz about, and the Robin suit looks really good. That's supposed to be just on the streaming service, and so. Maybe they'll redo their business model. Maybe they'll just decide it's not worth it. Um, but yeah, that's DC supposed to have it's a, a separate streaming platform as well. This is why Sorry. we need net neutrality. <laughs> because mm-hmm. when we're paying all this money out of pocket, by the way, there is a measure in the U.S. Senate to overturn the decision on net neutrality, and not a single fucking Republican is on board with the shit. It's it's become a partisan issue. And all these like conservative fuckboys who can only because the fucking the mainstream media is too liberal, bro. The mainstream media is too liberal. We got to watch Ben Shapiro on YouTube. We got to watch all these other people who are you can't watch them like in a cost afford affordable way when they fucking take net neutrality out of this shit. Yeah. Yeah. How are you going to get your your Alex Jones fix when you can't afford to he, he buffers forever? <laughs> He's going to be buffering forever. You are gonna have to pay more money to watch him. And it's like, it's totally baffling that this is a partisan issue in any capacity. It's crazy. Because it is, by definition, not a partisan issue. No. I mean, and this is what's so fascinating. The, the reason you know, America has, is stagnant because things that are class issues on like a, on a horizontal level or like no, it's vertical level, you know, the, the haves and the have-nots, the 1% versus the 99%, get apportioned out horizontally into left and right. Right. Like, it's not left and right. It's up and down. Yeah. it. Yeah, it's up and down. And everyone here at the bottom, when we get throttled internet speeds, we're all going to be affected by this shit. It's going to be like Brexit. <clears throat> People realize how when Brexit, like, was the reality and there was nothing else anyone could do about it. People then realize, oh, shit, we fucked yeah, up. It was not a partisan issue the way we thought it was. It was actually... Uh, a, a vertical issue about access and privilege and until people wake up to that if, nothing gets nothing gets accomplished if you're a republican or you live in a state with republicans you listen to this show call your fucking senator and your representative and tell them that you support net neutrality and that you disagree with the fcc and do it soon and do it for me because i live in maryland and they already don't support the repeal I'm going to start calling other people senators. <laughs> senators, I like it. That was an interesting thing about Black Lightning was he's also 
you know, people are very aware of Jefferson Pierce's privilege. They constantly talk about how how nice his suit is. Yeah. Um, his daughter, when she breaks the sink at the end, it's a very nice sink. Like their house <laughs> is gorgeous. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, it's all. Um, yeah. And that's and, and and that was realistic. Like as a principal, as a high level school administrator, you do make that kind of money. Mm-hmm. Nobody else in the school makes that kind of money, but you can. And you likely have a like a way advanced degree definitely a master's probably a phd yeah it's like and but still there's that you got to think about everything from this sort of intersectional lens where he's still getting pulled over and shit he's still that's right he's in he's in a very staid suburban middle class car he's got a fancy and he's upper middle class almost just upper class in terms of his wealth Mm -hmm. and he's well spoken and he wears nice suits and he's he talks like a white man and he's still getting pulled over by assholes. Yeah. Yeah. That's no, been it good. for another it's episode good, of Joe. Friday Tie-In. We did it. We were exhausted. If you stay stuck through this, you're a real 360 fan. You, you buy a shirt on our website. There is none. <laughs> um, Maybe someday that will retroactively be true, but today <laughs> is not that day. Just follow Andrew on Instagram at CBCosmologist. Follow us on uh, uh, Twitter and Weekly Comic Show, Wednesday Comic Book Show on Instagram, WednesdayComicBookShow.com every Wednesday and Friday for updates. And email us at WednesdayComicBookShow at gmail.com. If you have questions, concerns, suggestions, recommendations, hashtag Friday tie-in on Twitter if you prefer to communicate that way. That's been it for another episode of Friday Tie-In. We will see you on the next one. Bye. You ever seen a nerd speak in thin air? You ever seen such comic book flair? You ever seen two, three, four, five nerds fight and argue over made up words? Superman, Batman, and the Green Martian approach these worlds with Supreme Court shed. Listen to us as we rant and rave. Flip and follow on to the next page. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.